In a world of uncertainty, one thing is for sure. Cancer doesn't stop during a global crisis. On Saturday, June 13, the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society, LLS, will host a trailblazing event, Big Virtual Climb, sponsored by AbbVie. To support their investment in groundbreaking research to advance blood cancer cures and its first-in-class patient education and services, including financial support and clinical trial navigation. Step up to take cancer down by climbing 61 floors or 1,762 steps. Inside or outside, on stairs, on the road, or on your treadmill, climb your way. Join us for an opening ceremony and then take on your climb with our heart-pumping playlist. Join us on June 13 from coast to coast as we come together to climb, conquer, cure. Register at lls.org slash big climb. And it's just, uh, it's a pleasure to be able to share that sort of event with, with you listeners. Um, obviously, a lot of us are, are trying to keep fit in, during this time of quarantine anyway, and to be able to do something for uh, such an important cause, it, it really is a pleasure. <music> Welcome to the Oil Can Podcast. I'm Jonathan Willis, hosting this week, and joining me is somebody who I, I haven't spoke to in It Feels Like Forever, Daniel Nugent Bowman. How are you, sir? Well, I hope this works because I haven't used or touched this equipment in about a month because you and you and Alan have uh, been holding down the fort, so I, I've been told that it is working. I know what I'm doing. Uh, that's a plus because I hardly know what day it is right now. Um, for those who don't know, I, I know you guys uh, very kindly mentioned it on the on the podcast, uh, well, three weeks ago now, because uh, my daughter is now three weeks old today. Uh, yeah, so that's uh, that's been a new kind of reality in our in our lives. And uh, if uh, all of a sudden you hear some screaming in the background, uh, don't be alarmed. It's just a screaming baby. So uh, we do have uh, my my wife will take care of her uh, while we're on while we're on today. So yeah, it's been a it's been a new adjustment and back to work this week. And there's actually stuff to talk about that uh, is not uh, you know flashback uh, games and and what ifs. Uh, there's there's some tangible news here we can discuss. <laughs> yeah, I would. Honestly, I would I would sort of resent you a little bit for skipping this kind of dead month news-wise if I didn't remember so clearly what it was like to have a newborn. I, I remember the thought that kept going through my mind was that um, the way they warm you up for, for uh, interrogation is sleep deprivation and loud noises, right? And that's 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 a newborn baby in a nutshell. Yeah, we're, we're really looking forward to, uh, to getting some, <laughs> some love reciprocated because there's a lot of screaming, <laughs> a lot of... Uh, stuff coming out of every uh, every end that we're responsible for for cleaning up so uh you do kind of catch the odd maybe maybe something that looks like a smile and uh certainly the the cuddles are there sometimes too but uh yeah there's a lot of attention <laughs> being needed at uh and it's not from nine to five either i should remind uh, everyone as i'm sure they know uh it happens at all sorts of odd hours that uh, you'd rather be sleeping so but uh, I don't think we'd have it any other way, so uh, we can't. There aren't too many complaints so far. Put it that way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, isn't that the truth? Now, you you mentioned there's actual news, and some of that news uh, you you were just on a um, an availability with Connor McDavid and Darnell Nurse. Is that right? Yeah. So um, obviously, as, as everyone knows, I mean Thursday or sorry Tuesday today is Thursday. Uh, the NHL uh, announced its, its return to play format, and. and, and you know, play in playoffs 
<laughs> you know, however you want to split the semantics and all that. Um, but obviously, uh, Connor McDavid was a part of that re return to play committee, uh, and Darnell Nurse is the the player rep um, who ultimately uh, cast a vote on the format for his team. So that was uh, what made up a large portion of of the call uh, today. And 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 I found it was very interesting because I actually asked uh, both of them kind of. You, well, McDavid, as in terms of why he, or what he was doing to advocate for the Oilers, and he, and he said, well, not a whole lot. Like he, it was more so about getting hockey back on the ice, and um, you know, as part of the, he, he kind of specified that, you know, as part of this five-man committee, there were uh, players from all sorts of different teams. He, he mentioned he cited Ron Hainsey, who who kind of signed off on. Um, on his senators not playing anymore and uh obviously you know mark shifley and the jets getting in and, and tavares with the the leafs and 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 finding uh you know a kind of a, a different uh, avenue for the leafs uh you know having to play a play-in series as well so uh he said it was kind of what's uh doing what's best for the league is i think how he phrased it um and, and even though the oilers are kind of um you know some something kind of maybe getting the, the short end of the straw in terms of they're the only second place divisional team uh that's you know having to play in this play-in series the format's kind of changed a little bit um and and they're they're facing a chicago team that really was uh you know double digits behind the oilers and, and had no real you know chance of, of being in the playoffs and now in a in best of five series uh the oilers could be out in place of a team that really had no business being there so uh the oilers are one of the teams and, and mcdavid and, and ultimately nurse and uh, you know casting that vote uh that that are kind of taking one for the the team in this case the league in um in kind of doing what's best to try to get hockey back on the ice so it was a very interesting call and i, I thought there's some some real insight there from from especially mcdavid but also uh, also nurse as well I, I like the way you framed that because I, I think, you know, anybody who's um, dipped their toe into Oilers social media the last couple of days have, has seen the level of frustration, I think, with the format and, and what it does to the Oilers playoff chances. Like to me, there's sort of two competing priorities. And the one is, you know, it's so great that that there's a, a roadmap back to having some kind of um, 2020 playoffs, which I think any hockey fan, you know, wants to see. But the trade-off is this flip from a, a conference approach to a divisional approach, which which hurts the Oilers. And, you know, the way you've explained it, they are the only team that would have got a buy under a divisional setup that now has to play a play-in round under a conference setup. I, I was actually a little surprised that more of the player reps didn't vote against it. Um, we saw some of the blowback against Tampa Bay and Carolina when they voiced their objections to this format. But to me, I... I would think a lot of players have to be looking at this with mixed feelings because you we mentioned Edmonton. You look at a team like Pittsburgh, which was a virtual lock for the playoffs. You look at a team like Carolina, who voted against it. They're going to have to play the, a very, very good Rangers team in the playing round. Like the, you know, we look at Chicago and we go, well, Taves, Kane, that that could be a dangerous group. The Rangers are legitimately dangerous and had Carolina's number all year. Carolina goes from being you know a near lock for the postseason to to having to play New York. Um, it's it's a difficult setup and and everybody sort of has to make compromises hey well and i, and I think you you raise a good point in the sense that yeah, only two teams you know voted against it uh, and i'm sure and mcdavid did say that you know there was a lot of uh um kind of back and forth and there was certainly not a uh you know, you know unanimous or, or easy decision by any means uh also he, he kind of said it was a huge a huge issue in terms of allowing teams that were so far out like chicago like uh, 
uh, Montreal rather. Um, so, but I, I think with only two teams voting against it, there, it was probably and you, as you kind of touched on them, maybe that blowback for for those two teams. There was a little bit of, uh, uh, you know, they're pro- probably a, a player like Nurse and, and kind of going to his his teammates and explaining maybe what was going on. Um, uh, kind of read the room a little bit and, and ultimately, you know, uh, those types of, of teams that maybe it didn't work out so well for uh, for them. Uh, Pittsburgh, as you cite, is another one. Um, Carolina ultimately didn't, but, but but those teams like Pittsburgh and Edmonton, um, you know, they they would probably bit the bullet a little bit and said, hey, let's let's go for it. So, um, you know, it's, it's a pretty interesting dynamic. And, and the other thing I'll notice, um, obviously, you know, we've made a point that the, the Oilers being a second team and uh, second place team rather in the division, but not getting a first round or, or buy right into the playoffs. Um, it was very close, right? Like if had they beat the Jets they, in, <laughs> on that March 11th game, they would have had that that buy. So it's not like, yeah. you know, they were undeserving of, of that uh, of that chance. So, you know, it's, you know, in one sense, you, you kind of say, well, they should have won another game somewhere down the line. But of course, the players and, and and the league and everyone didn't know what was going to happen uh, in in early March and, and ultimately uh, canceling the season or uh, postponing it and now ending the season. Um, so it's it's just this weird dynamic that that I think you outlined it pretty well in your piece. If you you want to talk about a little bit more about that uh, the other day, uh, John, um, just what it does to the Oilers. Well, it's uh, yeah. In one sense, the Oilers really are. You know, as you said, getting the short end of the stick, I don't think there's much doubt about that. But in another sense, I kind of feel like the Oilers are benefiting from the pause in a way other teams wouldn't. And I, I laid this out in the piece, but you look at the way they use their top players. Um, you know, Edmonton leaned heavily on McDavid and Drysaddle, their defensemen. You look at where they rank relative to the league in terms of minutes per game. They're all really up there. And now they get a breather at midseason, which, you know, is going to benefit them more than it's going to benefit sure. teams that have a more balanced lineup. Uh, beyond that, the fact that they were so aggressive at the trade deadline, well, now they've got this three-week minicamp or whatever it winds up being to uh, to, to work in a Mike Green and an Andreas Athanasiu and and, you know, bring all these guys into the club um am i am i mistaken in looking at this as a bit of an advantage for the oilers relative to their competition or or do you think like like are there things that i'm not seeing there that you're seeing i i think it's just really hard to know but i think your 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 point is well made and this I, I like your your thinking uh in terms of you know mcdavid and drysidel are, are two of the the most you know, heavily used forwards in the league, and, and they're getting a bit of a break. And I know, in, in speaking to uh, some people around around McDavid, um, that he was he was actually kind of sick. Uh, obviously, he missed that uh, the second last game, and and that break was was. Uh, I think he also ultimately mentioned this uh, in early April there. But you know, he it was it was a little bit nice for him to to get that break. Um, ultimately, there's no there's no way he wanted it to be this long and and have the catastrophes kind of going around. Uh, in the world with this pandemic, but just having that break for him, I think, uh, was a huge, um, you know, will help because he was he was kind of run down a little bit there. So I like you, you know, you're thinking. Ultimately, I know you guys had Ryan Rashog, excuse me, on, um, you know, a couple couple few weeks ago there, um, and you were talking a little bit about, uh, you know, what if the power play goes cold and and, and all that kind of thing, and and that's that that's just uh, you know that's that's it a little bit there too, I think because. Um, obviously the, you know, special teams and, and, you know, combinations and uh, chemistry and all that, uh, you know, if they're putting 
you know, it's it's. I think it's good to get that that three week camp and, and work out some kinks. But you're you're then going to not a preseason game or not game one of a, an eighty two game season. You're going right into a we'll call it playoff uh, series, right? <laughs> um, you, so you, you don't have a lot of time to work out those kinks. And that, and that especially in a short series, a best of five rather than a best of seven, uh, the margin for error is pretty slim. So that's where it's a little uh, a little hard to, to say with, with any degree of certainty. But I do agree that that uh, getting a, a break for, for McDavid especially and, and, and Dreisleitle to uh, guys like maybe even Oscar Kleppbaum who was just coming back from an injury, I think that only helps uh, a group like Edmonton that really relies on its top players heavily so we're going to get more in depth on this issue and more with jack michaels who is of course the oilers radio play-by-play man on uh chad's am 630 but first uh let's go to a word from our sponsor hawthorne smelling good is important and hawthorne.co is there for you hawthorne colognes smell great but what i like best about them is the way they're personally tailored to me here's how it works go to their website And they have a quick two-minute quiz where you enter some basic facts about yourself, your interests, the way you live. And then they will make a personally catered recommendation for you. Uh, Two colognes, one for work, one for play, and and a range of other products. I I mean, we're talking shampoo, we're talking uh, moisturizer, we're talking body wash, you name it. They've got it. It's so easy. These are easy-to-get products specifically catered to the way you live. So check out Hawthorne at Hawthorne.co. That's Hawthorne with an E and .co, not .com. Hawthorne.co and use my promo code, ATHLETIC, all caps, to get 10% off your first purchase. That's Hawthorne.co and that promo code again, ATHLETIC, all caps, to get 10% off your first purchase. Hawthorne.co. Welcome back to the Oil Can. Uh, Jonathan Willis here along with Daniel Nugent Bowman. And I'd like to welcome to the show our guest, Jack Michaels, the radio voice of the Edmonton Oilers. How are you, Jack? I'm doing well. Uh, keeping on, keeping on, just like the rest of us, and very eager to, you know, get back to work, as I'm sure all of us are. <laughs> yeah, it was. Uh... I, I was I was actually I, I think like the rest of us, you, you must have been excited by the announcement Tuesday of an actual return to play plan and an end to all the speculation. Well, absolutely. And I think one of the reasons I'm excited about it is even though there weren't dates listed, I feel like uh, if I've if I've gotten to know Gary Bettman in any way, shape or form over the last decade and a half, I I don't think Gary wastes a lot of people time with a return to play format or or, or anything, really. I think everything he does is fairly well measured. And so if he didn't have dates and locations already in mind and a real indication that this was, in fact, was going to happen, then he wouldn't show his hand. He's just not that type of guy uh, to commit without having thought each and every scenario through. So I really feel like the return to play format, even though it did include any dates and locations, indicates there's a real you know structure in place and that it's just a matter of time uh, rather than if or when, uh, provided, you know, again, things don't go completely sideways here in the next six weeks. But, uh, again, I feel like uh, Gary's a guy that uh, would play it pretty close to the vest if he really felt there was concerted doubt about anything being able to take place. For sure. I think that's a good point, Jack. Uh, Daniel Nugent Bowman here. Great to, great to speak with you about hockey. Uh, this is a really nice change of, of pace. Uh, so I'm going to put you right on the spot. What do you think of the format? 
Well, I think in light of where we're at uh, in terms of, you know, teams having played an odd number of games and teams, uh, you know, look, it's, you know, if you're six, seven points back of a playoff spot right now, yeah, the odds are pretty long, but you don't have to go back too far. I think the Ottawa Senators five or six years ago, you know, went something like 19-1-3 and three to get in, you know, over the last 22. So it's hard to write off certain teams. I think certainly some big markets might be at play and there's conspiracy theories to, you know, as to whether or not, you know, Chicago and Montreal, if there were different teams in the 12 spot, would we be having a different conversation? I don't know about all that. All I know that we are in an unprecedented situation and an unprecedented, uh, you know, measure calls for this, you know, playoff system. Gary was very quick to make the point that, uh, you know, this is a one one and t- done type of deal. He likes the playoff format as it is. He's not going to start making exceptions to what's worked so well in his mind in terms of the NHL's competitive balance. So, from my standpoint, there's extenuating circumstances. I mean, years ago, uh, before either of you were probably old enough to fully, you know, remember, uh, the NFL had a strike that limited the season to nine games. And who knows? We might be looking at that sort of situation, not in terms of a labor dispute, but a shortened NFL season. And they threw 16 teams in the tournament, and it, it worked out just great. And no one thinks the Redskins, you know, didn't deserve their Super Bowl that particular year. The best team in the regular season happened to win that year, and that were the Redskins, who were 8-1 and in those nine games. And I think the NHL is probably thinking, look, this is an expanded format, but it doesn't necessarily mean uh, the best teams aren't going to be there at the end. Yeah, I, I think – you're right to point this as a, a one-off, and, and and that's one of the things that that comes with with the the complaints about this is realistically there was no way the NHL could make everybody happy. I think it made Edmonton and Pittsburgh a, a little less happy than other clubs, but um, there there was no way to make everybody happy. S- specifically with regard to the pause in this return to break, Daniel and I were talking in in the first half of the show uh, about how the Oilers are, are set up to come back versus, you know, other teams, you know, versus a, a, a Pittsburgh or Chicago or whoever. Um, do you think that, that this break gives them an advantage or a disadvantage or just sort of works out neutral? I, I think the best uh, approach for any team, and first of all, the fact that you're talking to Daniel and he's upright today is indicative <laughs> that he's ready to get back to work. I'm surprised on three and a half hours sleep or whatever he's got uh, that uh, he's he's upright and vertical and feeling like talking to me. Congratulations, Daniel, on, uh, I, I think on I the am. birth yeah. of your first child. Yeah, no, good for you. And you know what? If you don't make any sense, trust me, it won't be the first time. I hate to break it to you, partner. <laughs> but uh, no, in all seriousness, I, I think, you know, Teams need to get out of their head when it comes to this situation, Jonathan. I, I, I think uh, the bottom line is, is if you're the Edmonton Oilers or the Pittsburgh Penguins or any team that you know might have been slighted or just the odd team out when it came to you know maximum advantage generated by this format, you gotta you gotta put all that aside and look at the fact that look. You're 11 points better than Chicago with I think a game in hand. Whatever. So you want to call it nine points you got to look at that and say there's a reason for that. And there, there's we're a better team than they are. And no matter whether they came out of a you know lockout at 21-0-3, 
That was seven years ago, and it's not the same team. You've got four core pieces there that could certainly make life difficult for you in a best-of-five series. I mean, Crawford, Keith, Taves, and Kane were on that team that came roaring out of the gates. Uh, Edmonton was the team that actually dealt Chicago at second loss that year, but the Blackhawks basically steamed their, steamrolled their way to the Stanley Cup. Uh, that was that was then. This is now. This is a different situation. Uh, Edmonton has, in my mind, not only better higher end talent, but more importantly, in my estimation, is they've got greater depth, especially on the blue line. I think I was reading an article, and I, my apologies here. It was either Daniel or Jonathan. I, I'm I'm an athletic subscriber, but I admit sometimes <laughs> I miss it. But you know, they made the rightful point that you know philip roberg isn't even in edmonton's top 10 theoretically and then i started looking and you've got you know chris russell and matt benning is seven and eight uh and and that's pretty darn good and and that's like you compared chicago and a guy who hasn't played in you know seven months by the time we actually get this thing going, maybe eight months, is actually going to be in their top four. Uh, whereas yes. Mike Green, is, as you rightfully pointed out in the article, is a guy who you know may only play a handful of minutes at, at, at even strength and, and maybe slide in as like a power play three guy or a power play two guy. Just Edmonton's depth is everyone get all wrapped up in you know mcdavid and dry needing to outplay kane and taves for me that's not the story that this series and in full i mean there's no one behind Corey crawford chicago was thought to have officially waved the white flag with the trade of leonard so yeah. edmonton's got two goalies who can do it as well and and that's where uh, you know the, your article took a turn. Where I I was kind of I was kind of interested because I'm going to go the other way. If you're asking me right now who's game one, I've got a hunch that Dave Tip is going to start Mike Smith. I was going to say you know if it was a good article, it must have been mine. But did that then, floor you? Did, <laughs> did that but, floor you? But but yeah. then it sounded like it was Jonathan's, and then it, at the end it sounded like it was mine again. So maybe Jonathan and I are both doing great work, and we'll, we'll just leave it there. <laughs> All right, perfect, good. I might have combined them. I might yeah. have combined them. I apologize. No, but no. I, I will. I'll say this. The one thing is, is I, you know, uh, there was a point in the article that kind of concedes that Koskinen's going to be the game one guy, and I really feel like Dave Tippett's going to go the other way. But again, he can do that because he's got depth. Yeah, I wouldn't, I wouldn't doubt that for a second, given how much trust uh, Dave Tibbet seems to have in Mike Smith, and and he's had a few good runs too. But I'll just switch, switch, excuse me, switch gears for just a second here, Jack. And I'm just curious because uh, McDavid, uh, Connor McDavid, and uh, Darnell Nurse just got off a call about an hour ago, as we're recording now, uh, and and talks mostly about the the format and and their role in uh, coming up with it in, in terms of McDavid and voting in favor of it in terms of Nurse. And, and they were really kind of um, talking about the, the good of the game and doing what's best for the, for the league. And I'm just curious from, from your you know time in getting to know Connor McDavid, how have you seen him maybe evolve? And he's really taken on, like I know he's, he's part of the uh, competition committee and he's on this committee. Uh, what, how have you kind of seen him kind of evolve as a, a guy who wants to have a say uh, in in this in this place in the in the stature of the league, I think McDavid is a guy like a lot of guys in the league, and I'll use Sidney Crosby as an example. You know, Crosby wasn't necessarily thought of as the spokesman for the game, and and you know one of the out front leaders of the league. You know, two and three years into his career, in fact, 
you know, at the time, many of his contemporaries, many of people on the outside looking in considered him, you know, a whiner and a guy who was always going to the officials and things of that nature. Connor McDavid was never viewed in that vein because he's mostly kept uh, things pretty close to the vest in terms of a public persona. But I think, uh, you know, his, first of all, as a leader in the room, I don't think anyone's ever doubted him because he strikes me as a guy that his teammates view much the same way as Michael Jordan is. Here's a guy who's always working, and here's a guy who's never asked me to do something that he isn't doing himself in terms of training and preparation. So that's one thing. Publicly, I think, you know, and a little bit it has to do with the documentary. I think Connor McDavid has been more willing to engage and, and recognize that, uh, you know, the social media platforms and, and some of the other things he has an opportunity to do as one of the league's premier players. And that's, you know, have Commissioner Bettman's ear and, and, and be viewed as an important voice around the league. I think he's starting to embrace the importance of that role. And it's, you know, it's only suitable that it that it comes five or six years into his career. I mean, he's 23 years of age. And, you know, think about when we were 23 as compared to 18. You know, 18, you're often, you know, just kind of feeling your way around and, and discovering what kind of person you're going to be. And, and 23, you're more of a complete product. And I think that'll continue with Connor in terms of, you know, what you're talking about as, as being one of the more uh guys at the forefront and having a voice in the league i think that will continue to grow as as mcdavid's personality from a public perspective continues to evolve it's interesting you 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 point to the work ethic and i think that's something that a lot of people maybe just take for granted but i well i like i made a trip to to bakersfield here in march March, February, I don't know. <laughs> Time has no meaning anymore. But but one of the things that stood out to me about players who'd been up in Edmonton and gone back is almost to a man when I asked them, you know, sort of what they learned, what they took away from the experience, they'd say things like, just watching Connor McDavid carry himself in practice, watching Connor McDavid carry himself on and off the ice. These are things that resonated with with the young players that are coming up in Edmonton right now. You obviously you you travel with the team. Um, you you have a, a lot of um, close association with guys who are on the team right now. Does that does that kind of capture the the way he's regarded by his teammates? Absolutely. And again, I, I you know I, I look at the the Michael Jordan you know documentary the the ten part series. I kind of you know was a twenty year old myself at the at the apex of. Michael Jordan's career and and that kind of drive and it's not necessarily uh, the Jordan way of of berating his teammates but in terms of setting an example up and down the organization ultimately that's what you want from those you know players out of Bakersfield when they get called up to the National Hockey League is is feel like you know the guy at the very top of the organization in terms of where they're trying to go and the top ladder of the NHL, the upper elite. I mean, it's not just the Oilers, but you're talking about the best player in the league. If I'm a guy that's, you know, a fringe player, Bakersfield Edmonton, I go back to Bakersfield with a renewed sense of purpose because I'm seeing that no one's coasted at the National Hockey League level, least of all uh, the player that's generally considered to be the game's best. I think it's a tremendous example that he sets atop the organization. And I think it's one of the reasons, uh, you know, just one of the reasons that Bakersfield has had a, a certain degree of success over the last couple of years because they know the compete level is established from the top end down. So, Jack, uh, obviously we're, you know, we, we have this vision in our head of, of a Chicago-Edmonton series and, and that it actually, you know, will happen sometime soon. So you, you've already uh, kind of 
made your your point that you think that that uh, Mike Str- Smith could be the starter. Uh, you seem to maybe hint at the the bottom end of the defense, but I'll let you clarify that. Are, are there one or two kind of interesting ro- roster wrinkles either that you think might happen or that you would make if you were uh, the coach if you if you put on that that uh, mustache from the 1980s and and were Dave Tippett? <laughs> <laughs> well, again, I think uh, you've discussed some of the most you know critical points in your articles on the athletic is I, I think you look at the bottom end of the defense and, and, you know, kind of that five, six spot. And, you know, I think Caleb Jones has earned a spot. I really do. I, I think he moves the puck well enough. He's proven he can defend well enough that, uh, you know, I think he's, he's probably going to be in the mix at, at getting some five on five time with Mike green in that third pair, but you've got Chris Russell and Matt Benning, proven playoff performers, you know, waiting in the wings. Now, Chris Russell's going to be coming off, you know, a head injury. Uh, So there's, you know, you don't know what kind of effectiveness he's going to, he's going to be able to bring. I think, you know, what Matt Benning brings you and, and Benning's a solid guy and Edmonton's got an excellent record with him in the lineup. Uh, And, and really even in the lean years, he's been a plus player for this team. And I know, especially Jonathan's maybe not a huge fan (laughs) of the plus minus rating, but uh, it still means a little bit in my mind. And I, I think Benning can hit. And I think, um, you know, I think he's a nice guy as a seven and Chris Russell there is insurance. Uh, Mike Green, you got him for a reason. I, I don't see him, if he's healthy, not playing, at least not getting the opportunity to be in the lineup. So I think you're going to go with Jones and Green. I think you're going to go with Mike Smith in net. What's even a more, you know, tantalizing situation is what do you do in that bottom six? And, Gaetan Haas has done a lot to earn a spot in the lineup. I I think, generally speaking, um, that outside of the penalty kill, I would give Haas a clear edge over Kara. Where Kara, you know, continues to make a name for himself is on the penalty kill. And oh, by the way, you know, Edmonton's 37-25-9 record has not come by virtue of its five-on-five prowess. It's come by the fact that they've got the number one power play and the number two penalty kill in the league. And you, when you consider that Kara plays, I think, the second most minutes up front of any guy on that PK, it's, it's hard for me to see him leaving. But what about this? Gaetan Haas does enough five-on-five and, and seems to be in the right, right areas. Is there a possibility that we don't see a guy like James Neal or Alex Chason in the lineup every game? I'm not sure they're going to be in the lineup every game. And Gaetan Haas gives you another option as a, as a centerman. And I think five-on-five, Dave Tippett prefers Gaetan Haas at center over Kara. So it's a it's an interesting situation where that fourth line you could see two centers on it and one of Neil or Chase on not necessarily playing every game. Because I'll tell you what, if Kara ends up playing five on five with Neil and Chase on, to me boys, that's a ponderous line. That is a line and again, <laughs> you're not playing them a ton. Let's say you're playing yeah. them seven, eight minutes. But that's a line that's not blessed with a ton of speed. And if I've heard one commonality out of 
Dave Tippett all year long is he loves speed. That's why Nygaard's going to play. Remember, Nygaard might be one of the guys who chase Neal or chase on out of the lineup. I think Nygaard's going to find a way to get some playoff games. I don't know whether he'll play every game, but the reason Tippett likes him is Nygaard can fly. And it's also uh, a possibility that with Nygaard back in there, that could make another guy you'd want to use on the PK. It sounds like a huge risk at the top, but let's just let's just leave it this way. Dave Tippett's got a lot of decisions and a lot of flexibility, and that's something Jeremy Colleton does not have. He has no depth. I, I really like the way you frame that because I, I keep going back and forth on care. I look at, you know, playoff style hockey and I think, well, it's not a bad, bad thing to have a six foot four center on your fourth line. And I look at the PK and I go, yes, he's a big fit there. But then I think, you know, they're going to have this mini training camp. Maybe, maybe you can break in a guy like Nygaard or Haas who's done it internationally and, and at other levels before. Um, the, the, I, I bounce around this forward lineup all the time. And, and one of the places where I have a lot of trouble is that first line. Like, who who do you play with McDavid? Do you bump Nugent Hopkins up? Wh- which wingers do you use? Like, what what is what is your answer if, if you're the coach? Who do you start there? My gut tells me you kind of dance with who brung you. When you're, there's an old Southern proverb, southeastern part of the United States, that says when you're invited to the biggest party of the year, you dance with who brung you. And for me... What line put Edmonton in the position they are right now? It's Dreisaitl, it's Nugent Hopkins, and it's Yamamoto. I know there was some tinkering, and I know there's the desire to get McDavid going, perhaps with a winger of Nugent Hopkins' caliber. But I think Nugent Hopkins, Dreisaitl, Yamamoto took you from the brink of falling out of the top eight in the Western Conference to a team that was right there with Vegas in a battle for the Pacific Division. You took you took a team that was kind of middling along at New Year's and looked like it might be headed more towards 18 and 19 than 2017, and instead that team took off. And that was the line that got them there. That was the line that got them points in, I think, 22 of 29 games. And for me, you go back to that line and you let McDavid figure it out with... Ennis and Cassian, and if Athanasio gets going, you have Athanasio as an option because I know that was originally a thought process of maybe playing Athanasio up there with Connor McDavid. Ennis is more of a proven veteran that you can move on up and down the lineup. Who knows? Ennis may end up playing a fourth-line role, give you a little offense back there because, remember, Kara hasn't scored a goal in 35 games. Not that you necessarily need it, but... I, again, I look at Chicago, and fellas, I'm telling you, I think Edmonton wins this series with its bottom six and its second and third D pairs more so than with their top-end players because you give Kane and Taves a shot in a best-of-five series, and who knows, maybe to break it or Strom gets going. Uh, but again, I think that's where Edmonton can exploit Chicago. Strom and Kirby Dock defensively i like edmonton's chances of breaking that lineup down a little bit maybe get shea and an archibald going again archibald's a guy who i think with his speed and a favorable matchup against the chicago third pair and maybe a kirby dock line i like that line heads up all night long so you mentioned patrick kane as i i feel like he's a pretty big x factor in this series because he had uh Close to two points a game for for about a, just over a quarter of the, the the season before it ended, about you know twenty five games or so. Um, how did they shut him down? 
Well, I think with Patrick Kane, that's where, you know, you talked about Darnell Nurse. Uh, you know, I, I think where Nurse and Larson have their most value is when forwards like Patrick Kane dread seeing them on him. Uh, Nurse and Larson are two of the meaner defensemen in the National Hockey League. Uh, they have got to get bodies on him. They have got to punish Pat. They have got to make life uncomfortable for Patrick Kane. I think Darnell Nurse in this head-to-head -head series, you know, if I'm if I'm coaching the Edmonton Oilers, I say Darnell, we don't need any points from you in this series. We just need Patrick Kane to despise the very thought of your existence by the end of this series because Darnell Nurse can make life extremely uncomfortable for highly skilled players. He's got the speed to shadow Kane to some degree. He's got the ability to skate with him. He's just got to get a body on him. He's got to get his mean on and, and really make things miserable for Patrick Kane. And you know what? Even if Patrick Kane gets his, guys, you've got to have someone else beat you. And that's where Chicago is going to absolutely depend on guys like Strom and Debrinkit, neither of whom have had great seasons. They're going to need a lot from them. Because, again, uh, even if even if Chicago plays McDavid and Drysaddle to a, an offensive stalemate, I actually think that might play even more into Edmonton's favor. I, I just don't see... Uh, Chicago having enough secondary options and particularly being so thin on defense. I think they're going to have a whale of a time uh, containing Edmonton's secondary scoring. Uh, we should uh, should mention, speaking of defensemen who make life miserable for the opposition, Hall of Famer Chris Pronger. I'm not sure whether to describe him as infamous or famous in Edmonton. Uh, he, he was on the Point Breakaway podcast this week with uh, Shane O'Brien and Josh Cooper. So check that out, the Point Breakaway podcast. Um, Jack, so you, Larson got... and Nurse sort of switching shutdown duties, or do you have them, <laughs> do you have them on a single pairing, or do you go uh, Nurse Bear, uh, bomb Larson, and they can go up against anybody. You don't care if it's Kane or Taves or whoever. Exactly. That's that's what I'm saying. I mean, Larson needs to bring, you know, you, you need bomb and Larson together. I think there's no reason to break up Nurse and Bear. Again, you know, if you're Edmonton, you got to look at the fact that, you know, you're a solid double-digit, you know, point difference ahead of Chicago. There's no need for Dave Tippett to reinvent the wheel and start shaking up his <laughs> pairings and, and, and that's why I'm saying I, you know, as as tempting it is to get Connor McDavid going, my hunch is Connor McDavid hasn't been on the ice for three months for the first time in his life. He's gonna be fine. You can, I mean, I, I'm not saying I'm not saying put Willis on his left wing, but I, I'm I'm saying McDavid will figure it out. He'll figure it out a way to be defective. It's that dry subtle line that's going to kill Chicago. And you know what? If they load up and they focus too much, then Connor McDavid could probably beat Chicago by himself. I, I think on defense, I, I'd stick with the pairings. You got uh, you got a little bit of a puck mover on all three pairings, really. And and really, in Jones and Green, you can make the argument that now you've got four of your top six that can really move the puck uh, with a certain degree of efficiency. And then you've got guys like Nurse and Larson on two different pairings that can go after Patrick Kane. And, and again, uh, let him know that it's not going to be a series where he's just skating around from half boards to half boards in the offensive zone looking to make a play. This is not bread man time anymore for Patrick Kane. And that's, that's, 
that's where, I, again, I go back to in terms of, a, you know, the one, there's two trades that, that uh, you know, are going to haunt Chicago in this series in my mind. And number one, uh, Jalmerson for Connor Murphy. I, I think Murphy is going to get exposed in this series. And I, you know, I, I just, Connor Murphy to me is not a top four defenseman in the league. And then the other the other trade would be uh, you know the bread man bringing back Brandon Saad. Uh, I think in this series Chicago uh, would would sorely love to have that Kane Panarin combination to mitigate uh, some of the weaponry that they're going to have to deal with on the Edmonton side. I, I think those two trades will come home to roost in terms of you know Chicago back you know technically back in the playoffs they're gonna they're gonna be looking at a quick exit as a result of those two trades in my mind more than anything else interesting stuff and um the Oilers have had a, some pretty you know unique and, and memorable moments this year from you know the McDavid goal in Toronto to the uh the the Smith Talbot dust up and you obviously get to call these moments and I'm just wondering what your favorite call was uh this year because there have been there have been a few I think one of my favorite games of the year I won't necessarily call it a call per se but you're you're absolutely right Daniel the one difference and I think Jonathan will echo this in 2016-17, to be honest with you, the regular season was kind of a breeze for Edmonton, especially in the second half. They started mowing teams down, and they didn't have these little signature victories, uh, you know, come from behind efforts. And I can, you know, off the top of my head, I can think of two or three, but the one that really resonates uh, with me was, you know, no McDavid on the road in Raleigh, North Carolina. And again, especially people living out here don't realize, you know, how good the Canes are. And and I realize that the Canes are barely in the top eight themselves in the Eastern Conference. But uh, without McDavid on the road, second of a back-to-back where Edmonton's 7-1 and one this year, uh, that was just a mammoth victory. And, and Josh Archer, on the ice in overtime, uh, scoring the winner is is the one victory that that really sticks out and 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 told me that this club had really turned the page on on the disappointments from the previous two seasons and now had enough weapons in its in its bottom six to to kind of turn the game in their favor and and beat a Carolina club and I don't know whether you guys watched that game but the Canes were awesome in that game I mean they were really good that was not Edmonton catching Carolina on an off day the Canes were loaded for bear they played exceptionally well and still couldn't beat the Oilers uh, so that was uh, for me. Uh, if I'm Edmonton head coach Dave Tippett and this season turns out to be a special one, those that will be one of the signature victories that I'll, that I'll look back toward. And you know what? Don't be surprised if it gets tight in one of these playoff series upcoming. And who knows, it might be Chicago. That's the kind of game you remind your players that that uh, you can win under trying circumstances. Well, I'm going to pat myself on the back a little bit here because we were in Carolina, uh, Derek Van Deest, Mark Spector, and I in the press room, and we were wondering who they're going to throw on the ice because, as you mentioned, there was no McDavid, and they were kind of thin up front in terms of you know guys you'd want to throw on in overtime. I said, you watch. They're going to put Archibald on, and they did, and they scored. <laughs> so that was uh, my one coaching uh, call that that actually worked out in the other's favor this year <laughs> you were bang on and i'm glad you were there because you know exactly what i'm talking about i mean edmonton was exhausted by the end of that game i mean carolina was coming in waves and again i think the hurricanes have a, a tremendously underrated lineup it will not shock me 
if if Carolina's there at the end. It, it will not. And and I know they didn't have quite the regular season, and there's some questions in goal for the Hurricanes. Like there are questions in goal, quite frankly, for the Edmonton Oilers. But uh, that was a real talented team that Edmonton beat that day. And I think Rod Brindamore, like Dave Tippett, has done a, a tremendous job in, in his couple seasons coaching the Hurricanes. I never understood, fellas, and this is completely going off on a sidebar. I never understood why Calgary got rid of uh, Glenn Galtson to bring in Bill Peters because I thought that Carolina team underachieved during his time in, in Raleigh. And, and that's, you know, completely disregarding all the other, you know, so, social issues that have, that have suddenly come home to roost. I, I never understood why Carolina wasn't more often in the playoffs. And now with Rod Brindamore, I think you're seeing that leadership and that's why they've developed into a real threat, but that's a total another uh, story. Edmonton's got a lot of work to do to worry about an Eastern Conference opponent. They've got a tough draw, as you mentioned, in Chicago. And I think it might be the most intriguing first-round matchup. I realize this is an Oilers-centric podcast, but in all honesty, you look at the matchups, Edmonton-Chicago is, is a real highlight If for, for anyone who actually knows anything about the National Hockey League. I think that's the most intriguing first-round matchup by a good margin. It's it's always been a fun one. Even when Chicago was great and Edmonton was bad, those were those were enjoyable games. Um, I, I really we're we're out of time now, but I really want to thank you, uh, Jack, for for joining us on the show. Make sure if you're listening, check out our comments section for each podcast episode. It's on at the Athletic app, and, and don't forget to rate and subscribe the Oil Can on Apple. If you click the show URL, theathletic.com/slash/theoilcan, you'll get forty percent off your subscription. Uh, for Daniel Nugent Bowman, uh, for our guest Jack Michaels, who once again we thank for being here. I- I'm Jonathan Willis. Thanks for listening.